quickly. Um, first of all, it was not, I don't know if it was in the bulletin, but this Sunday night, this is the third Sunday. I wanted to take just a moment of time. As we wrap up 2020, or not 2019, we're really trying our best to cast the schedule and to solidify certain things for 2020, you know, um, as a church, as a church pastors and leaders, things that we are looking forward to doing. One of the things that we're going to be doing is really trying to add a new emphasis to Sunday school, which is going to be more commonly known as Christian education in 2020, and try to make that much more a part. It's, it's, it's trailing away from a lot of churches in our culture today, and under, understandably so, we looked at it ourselves because we asked hard questions. But at the same time, our discipleship uh, is being limited as well, and we want to do everything we can to create that culture. Jace, on sun, this Sunday night is the third Sunday, so we still have first and third, even though we don't have two and four, second and four, like we're doing December. We don't do them in December. So we still have first and third. So the third, we're going to go ahead and have a light finger food fellowship after the service because we're going to try to do that in 2020 on every third Sunday because I've got, I believe, eight missionaries scheduled. I gave that window of time. I had six separate missionaries contact me. And then when word got out that a church was opening up, I got two more contacts. But that's okay because that's who we are. That's the assemblies of God. These are, some of these have been on the field and some have got to go on the field. And so we designated that third Sunday night as a time when a missionary would come in and share their heart, um, give us a chance to pray with them and uh, hopefully support them financially if we don't already and uh, receive them an offering and then culminate that with a light finger food fellowship so the, and, and certainly have prayer at the altar with the missionary so this is the third Sunday so we're going to kind of keep that vein the light finger food fellowship Jace is going to be the one that takes the time on Sunday night to tell you about our vision for Christian education a little bit and to do that uh, so you hopefully we can all catch the vision of it and, and get involved and see what it can do in our lives and take us deeper. Um, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. However, um, in, in, conjunction with that, in conjunction with that, we are going to start the process of altering the Wednesday night a little bit differently. And I'll tell you more about that next week. It's positive. It's very, very positive. Um, it's going to have a little bit more spirit-led prayer. It's going to be connected to it. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. I'm not going to do, and I'm going to apologize, and if you bought the book, I will reimburse you <laughs> from Shane's paycheck. So, <laughs> um, I will reimburse you. If you bought the book, well, the book will still not hurt you to read about the heritage. I may, I'll probably journey into that on my own on Sunday mornings and bring a little bit of that into the Sunday morning. But, you know, the purple book has been, I've given out 300 plus copies of that. That's how many different people have come in here on Wednesday nights in the course of the year. 300. There's not 300 people around tonight, look around. There's about 40 something here tonight and it's a lower number than normal. Uh, so we've lost a little bit of momentum as, as we, but we got to finish. We got to finish strong. So Shane, you know, so we're going to finish this strong and, but that's been over one year of continual discipleship. That's what, the, you know, it takes you at the beginning, sin, salvation. Now we're in judgment, restitution of all things from there. Well, this discipleship's a powerful thing. But one of the things that's being lost in the church, and that is being taught and then the opportunity to be created for prayer, not just to be prayed for, but to pray 
Come on. Can I hear the amen? Right? And what I'm talking about, I'm talking about, so we're going to kind of alter. I'll share with you when it's my time next week because um, I'll be doing the last lesson. What we want that Wednesday night to look like. It's going to still have teaching. It's still going to have preaching, exhortation. It's still going to have worship. But we're going to alter it in such a way, though, that it allows you and I to seize a moment, number one, to be intercessors, number two, to pray for one another, number three, to create an environment where the Holy Spirit can have a liberty, to have liberty, right, to be able to minister to each other, spiritual gifts, exhortation of spiritual gifts. And so we're going to try our very best to cast that vision. I'll share with you more about it next week. So it's really something that I feel like is the direction. You know, I told people, I said, you've got to go, the scripture says, King James English, that the wind bloweth where it listeth. That means the Spirit of God goes where He goes. It's our job to follow. To follow. We've been very disciples. So there, I, I will guarantee you there's not any church in Heber Springs that's been more doctrinally discipleship based than Heber First Assembly, especially over these latter few years. But we need to create an atmosphere. We want to be disciples, but we want to be Spirit-filled disciples. You know, there's the power of the Holy Spirit. There, I'm telling you, the only way to pull down strongholds is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I cast out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can discipleship, educate you. You can know about heretics, and you can know about some of these other, other positive doctrines. But you also need to be emboldened in your faith, full of the Holy Spirit, that you can see mountains move, right, and changes rocks because James 5 says, the effectual, fervent, unceasing prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Amplified Bible says makes much power available. And so we're we're wanting. So I, I I'll tell you a little bit more about it next week. We're stirring it around in our spirit that it's the right thing. So Shane's going to come. He's got a strong lesson, a tough lesson for us tonight, and then I get the privilege of wrapping it all up next week. that you were effective. And I think that there certainly is a place that you have to hold on to cultural relativity, but you can never lose doctrinal soundness within, within that cultural relativity, right? You can't do it. Um, and, and so Christian education, discipleship, Sunday school, whatever you want to call it, whatever you package it up to be, the, the um, effective efforts of the church to make sure that we deepen doctrinally and theology is something that we always, always, always need to strive to do no matter where we're at culturally, right? No matter how dark the world is, we have to be light. And, and 
no, no, matter, no matter where churches around us find themselves, and, and we've done that too, because we've looked at other churches, we looked at other methods, well, this church does this, what are the results of that? We've, we've put all of these things in the balance, and, and there are some truths, there are some truths and some things that you can just, um, that you, you can just not turn loose of. There are some things that you have to climb a mountain and, and, and go to war and die on that mountain if you have to. And growing in the Lord and deepening in your knowledge and your revelation of the Lord is one of those mountains that you have to climb. We have to create opportunity for you to grow in the Lord. Otherwise, we're wasting our time and our energy and our efforts, right? And unfortunately for me, uh, <laughs> The judgment of sinners, that's not even the title of it, right? Why am I there? Hold on, because it says this, the justice of God and the sinfulness of humanity. <laughs> that's going to be ugly enough. I'm going to leave that one to pastor. <laughs> We're less than two. The justice of God and the sinfulness of humanity. And here's the truth about that statement. Culturally, it's almost obsolete. And as I started to read this, and here's the thing about it, when you really dissect the scripture that they did, a, they did actually did a really, really good job scripturally connecting this truth um, uh, to the Bible. They did a great job. I think the problem that we have is the way that we ingest the scriptures that they even provided here. Because we live in a culture today where the justice of God is questionable. Because of everything that goes on around us. And we have blamed um, God's being just and his, um, we, we, have, we have almost looked at him as the bad guy of every, and the, and the result, the problem with everything that goes on in the world. Because we've said that he's God, absolutely, he's God. So if he's God, then why, that's what they, that's the question they actually pose early on in this. And they say this, many of those who don't know God and assume that people are basically good wonder how can a loving God send people to hell? The truth of the matter is, is there's a lot of Bible-believing people, Christian, God-loving people that, that wrestle with that thought in their mind. And the problem, and, and, and the, the reason that, People ask that question has a lot to do with cultural influence in the church. We've, we've because here's what we've done, and, and you can't deny this, we have tried to create a culture where we're comfortable. Rightly so. I'm all about air conditioning. I'm glad there's heat in the building tonight, right? This morning when you showed up, it was frosty on the ground. Thank the Lord for heat. I'm, I'm all about uh, um. Uh, creating comfort in the place that I am in certain areas. But then at the same time, when I look at Scripture that is absolutely true from the very beginning of time, but this is a doctrinal, this is a doctrinal truth that 100 years ago got preached from every pulpit all the time. Pastors and, and evangelists preached hell so hot that your shoes would catch on fire. You understand? And, and, here's, and here's the thing. There are people today who will not look at the holy wrath and the righteous wrath of God because they only know him as a God of love. And if they only know the God that me and you serve as the God of love, then they have missed half of who he is. And, and, here, and here's the thing. We have, we have almost convinced ourselves that the just, um, um, 
the, the just God or the, the wrathful God and the loving God, that, that those two are diabolically opposed to one another. The truth of the matter is that God is a God of love, and therefore, because of that, he has to be a just God. Those two can't be separable. If that's the case, don't look forward to the resurrection of our bodies, okay? Because if he's an all-loving God and he does not rid the world, justify the world, if he doesn't cleanse the world, if he doesn't take this merciful hand that he certainly is, I'm telling you right now, God is a merciful God, even right now. We may think that he's unjust and he's unfair, but I'm, because of all that goes on in the world, I'm telling you right now, if the hand of God was removed from the world today, we would consume ourselves in a matter of a week because we're evil. Nobody wants to hear that. They're, they're, they're a lot more comfortable with the idea that they're sinners. It's, it's something that has become so a minuscule in our culture that we don't even realize the magnitude of it, the ugliness, the heinousness of it. We use sin for advertisement. It's everywhere you look. Your culture is saturated with sin so much to the point that even the church will turn a blind eye to it. Or, or maybe even the church will participate in it, but because it's so culturally relevant, then maybe there's a place for it in my Christian life and within my faith. And the truth of the matter is, is there is a just God and there is a wrath stored up until the day of wrath that will be poured out. But that's a truth that is sometimes so hard for us to swallow because of the place that we live within this culture. And I struggled this week. <laughs> Not because... Not because I don't believe that God is a just God. Not because I don't understand that I'm sinful. But because this is a really, really hard thing to talk about when you look at the magnitude and the weight of the scriptures that's connected to it. And, and, and here's the thing. If you, it says here, let's look at this just right off the bat. Number one, it says, what is the foundation of God's throne? Psalms chapter 89, verse 14, it says that righteous and, and justice are the foundation of his throne. It's the, it's the focal point of his kingdom. And the strength of his kingdom, the reign of his kingdom, the power of his kingdom are, are completely and totally established on this truth. If he is who he say he is, then he is righteous and he is just. And if you're caught up in whether or not God is unfair, if that's something that you have to wrestle in your heart, then here's the truth of the matter is that you really, really don't understand who God is. And we're going to have to unpack the sinfulness of man, and it's going to be a really, really ugly thing because the scripture says that the wages of sin are what? Death. And it's not this, this, this quick, painless Hollywood death. Jesus was cultural in his teaching. He'd be like, now certainly unscrolled the scroll of Isaiah. He, he was a Bible doctrine teacher. He understood that, but he also said, hey, man, there was this guy that had some seed. Culturally relevant. But he also said this. 
that there is a place that's prepared for those who don't love me, for those who don't serve me. There will be one on a rooftop. There will be one in the field. He tells us, he's very specific about the fact that, that there is coming a day when the wrath of God will be poured out on the sinfulness of mankind. And for us to just think that God is only a loving God is to misunderstand his love. If he loves us, he has to be just. I said that, right? The only way that a perfect new heaven and a new earth can be created is if he rids. If there is a heart, listen, we, we struggle, right, with where the line in the sand, where we, can, where we can go, where we can't. Sometimes it's questionable for us. It's not with him. There's going to come a day when he looks outside of the blood of Jesus and outside of the covenant that we have, that new covenant that we, that we hold so strongly to. He's going he's gonna to look, and anywhere that that blood is not found, he will no longer pass over. The fullness of his wrath will be poured out. I told Caleb a long time, I actually asked Caleb, Today, because I was thinking about this and meditating on it, and I, I, I sat down at an uh, early dinner right after picking Caleb up from school. I said, I want to ask you a question. I said, and I just want you, I want you to answer it honest. I said, because um, it's, it's in the context of the teaching tonight, and I just want to know, you know where your thoughts are at on it. I said, why are you saved? And you know what his first response was, and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with this. He said, because I don't want to go to hell. I can build upon that. You understand? I can build upon that. But if, but if there is a person that says there's no way that a loving God can only send, that, 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 he, that he would never send anybody to hell, then it's completely and totally, totally contradictive to his word. And, and I, I told Caleb this one time. It was a, a, a quote that I'd heard from Paul Washer. He, he said that hell is not hell because of the absence of God. He said hell is hell because of the fullness of God's wrath is there. And I told that to Caleb one time, and it actually stuck. And he was talking to a kid at school, and this kid was like, man, God's not angry. I don't know what you're talking about. You need to read your Bible. And Caleb's like, well, man, there is a wrath that's stored up. And, and the kid said, there's no way there's such thing as a hell. There's no way that God would send people to hell. Is is Hell is separation from God. That's what the kid told Caleb, and Caleb pulled that quote up from nowhere. He said, no, hell is not the separation or the absence of God. He said, hell is the fullness of God's wrath poured out on sinners. <laughs> so, okay, okay. So there's something there to work with. And I don't have, the, I don't have a problem with the, be, with the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. I don't have a problem with even, even a, a, um, a shallow revelation of his greatness and his glory, even if, it's, even if it's this deep, if that's a starting place for me to pour into his life, then I'm okay with that. Uh, that's where I was. I'm not going to lie to you. I got saved so I wouldn't have to go to hell because I was right on the tail end of that. Man, when I went to church camp, you heard about hell. It got hot in the room. <laughs> I don't know if they did that on purpose or if it's just because we always church camp in July and the air conditioning was terrible, but I'm talking about hot heat. I can remember, I think it came out, it was in the 70s, I'm sure. It was a, it was a terrible, uh, terribly made film, right? A Thief in the Night. Anybody ever seen A Thief in the Night? Well, let me tell you how messed up our culture is. I, 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 because I wanted to see what, what year it, was, it come out and, 
And uh, so I Googled it this afternoon, and it come up, and it said to show the trailer. And so I hit it. I was going to watch the trailer again because when I seen that movie, it messed me up, man. <laughs> I was like, I got saved all over again. Oh, Lord, I just want to make sure that I'm saved. I want to make sure that I'm saved. Do you realize to watch the trailer on that on YouTube, you have to sign in as an adult? Because there must be something so vile about that God or something so, so twisted and messed up about that God that, uh, that you have to be of a certain age to understand his wrath. Or, or maybe this is going to cause confusion so we can't just show this to everybody. I watched that when I was a young teenager. And it affected me, but you have to sign in today as an 18-year-old to just watch the trailer. We're so confused. But here's the truth about God's love, and, and I get it. I understand 1 John chapter 4, I think verse 8, says that God is love. And that's absolutely true. But if God is love, then he has to hate. Question. Let me show you. Does anybody love the Jews? Then you have to have hated Holocaust and Auschwitz. Does anybody in here love African Americans? Then you have to hate slavery. Anybody in here value life, love life, love children? I, I, I beat up little kids all the time, but they love me, and I love them back, right? I don't understand it. I don't get it. I've slapped Bo. The first time I kind of watched over Bo, I made him fall. He busts his mouth. His, his parents still bust my chops about that, but Bo hugs me all the time. I love, you know, here's the truth. If you love children, then you hate abortion. You hate anything or anyone that would try to uh, harm or to defile a child. And it's, and, it's, and it's not because it's not because you're inherently evil, which we are without grace, but it's because we love. If God loves, then he has to hate. Psalms chapter 5, verse 5. I want to turn over there real quick, and I want to show you something, because I think that there's something that we have missed a little bit. I'm sure that I've even said this. I kind of periodically read through the Psalms just because I think it's a good idea. I tell Caleb all the time, I'm like, son, when you get, and I should do a better job of this. I'm like, son, whenever you're, you're a worship leader or whatever you want to do, if that's, if that's what you want to do, it's a good idea to hide Psalms in your heart, right? Because there's a lot of times right in the middle of worship when you can pull a Psalm up like this and it just changes the atmosphere, right? Well, what about this one <laughs> for changing the atmosphere? The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. And here's maybe a common misconception, and I, I, I've heard this a lot, but God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. It's a little contradictory to the, because it doesn't say that he hates iniquity. It says he hates all workers of iniquity, those, those who continue in iniquity, those in, in, in Psalms chapter 66, he says that he will not, um, that, that after he reveals iniquity and you choose to stay in that he makes a conscious decision not to hear your prayers, right? There is a disconnect in someone who doesn't understand the justice and the holiness and his hatred of sinners and sin. I know. I don't like it either. I don't like it either. But this is the God 
this is why it's so important to understand the God that we serve. This is the God we serve. Let me tell you this guy, who this guy is. Okay? He spoke to stars. And he sent them out into this vast space. And he said, you burn here in this one spot until I tell you you can move. And they do it. He created planets and he set them in orbit. And he said, do not, do not change patterns. Don't, don't realign yourselves. You do exactly what I tell you to do. And since the very moment that he spoke it into existence, they have been in complete obedience. He rose, he raises up mountains and he pushes valleys low and he draws rivers with his finger. He drew, he, he, he put water in a hole and he said, you can only come this far and they obey it. That's the God that we serve. But then he says to us, come to me. And we say, no. I have my own agenda. I have my own views of you. I have my own thoughts. I have my own preconceived ideas. I have my own agenda, and I'm going to do it in spite of you. We, we don't have a problem at all with justice being poured out on somebody that is absolutely and totally evil and vile. You take a man kidnapped a boy when he was 10 years old, put him in a basement, he tortured him for another 10 years, and the second that they found him, that day he died. The person who abducted him and subjected him to torture, we would have absolutely no problem with the most, with the most, um, the strongest, stiffest judgment that could be poured out on him, we would be in 100% agreement with that. But in the book here, if you, if you turn over here, when it talks about, um, it's in James. It says in, in verse 11, it says, what if you live a pretty good life and we do our best to follow God but disobey just once? What does that scripture in James say? Break just one, just one small part of the law and you've transgressed the entire law. So if we understand the holiness of God, if we understand the, 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 the justice of God and the fact that he is completely and totally righteous in his judgment, he's never made a missed call, right? He's never needed a mulligan on justice that he's poured out. He's never been like, Ooh, I need to acquit that guy because I wrongly accused him. He's never missed it. And unfortunately for us, and, I'm, and I apologize, it's just a real hard pill to swallow even for me. I get it. But it has been taught to me, and it's, and it's verified in the Scripture. The truth of the matter is, we'll get there in just a second, Romans chapter 3. The truth of the matter is, is because of the sin of Adam and Eve, that Adamic nature, that sinful nature, presides in all of us. And there is nothing that you can do to get away from it. This is exciting, isn't it? Praise the Lord. <laughs> oh, man. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. You, you need to take the time to study into these things. It, and here's, here's the reason. The more that you know about the holiness of God, and this is, man, this is where I really come to a place. I was studying um, 
here a few years ago, the, the Puritans and, and, and looking at the lives of these people who were just like super sanctified in comparison to me. And then they looked at God like they weren't even, there were times, man, when I would come in here early on, uh, when, I was, when I was here a lot, I would come in here early and I wouldn't even, I would be almost ashamed to open the door and walk in the sanctuary because of the God that, it's because he's so holy. And I'm so not. And I think that it's okay for you to understand that. Even, and, and here's the thing, y'all haven't heard me talk about the cross yet. We haven't talked about the blood of Jesus yet, and that's okay. We're going to get there. You, you have to understand the righteous justice of God, the wrath of God, the holiness of God, and the sinfulness of man before you can fully, totally appreciate the value of the cross. You, you can't appreciate the cross to its fullness unless you understand that, that, that you're right what you deserve according to the scripture in the eyes of a holy God is complete and total death. Nobody gets that part of the gospel. Because that's a ri- and And here's the thing. If we're talking about discipleship, and there's a guy, I think his name's something Durbin. Um, Frank, maybe. I watched a video of him, and he's very, very in your face about this. And I'm not saying that this is the right thing to do, but the very first thing that he does in his evangelistic efforts is he walks straight up to somebody uh, and he'll say, you ever told a lie? You ever stole anything? You ever looked at somebody with lust in your heart? You ever done any of these things? And he names just these, he names these sins that every single one that's ever sit in a church has committed, right? I have told a lie. <laughs> I have stolen something. Even if it's time from an employer. Oh, what's up? <laughs> Better not for me. I am the employer. <laughs> okay, so, so there is no way that there has ever been a person who has not infringed on the law. And he's very direct that way. And then he says, okay, well, here's the deal. If you've done any of those things and you're a sinner and the wages of sin is death, and God has prepared a place. For sinners to go, it's hell, and it's, it's unquenchable, lake of fire, and the Satan and, and the demons, they're going to be cast in there. There's no weeping and gnashing of teeth, and he goes, this is all of these things. And I don't necessarily think that that's the most effective way to evangelize somebody, but at the same time, we have to understand who we are in light of who he is. Because the cross is too soft without it. The cross will be just jewelry. The cross will be just a profession and not a life of obedience. And God, I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't think that God is nearly as concerned about our profession of faith as he is to our obedience to his word. And you've heard this. <laughs> oh, have I, have I ever heard this? Only God can judge me. Well, that's true in the context of your heart. But it's our responsibility. It's your responsibility to hold one another accountable within the body of Christ based on our actions. So your profession of faith and then your disobedience and actions is, is contradictory to one another. And I'm going to question your faith based on what I see lived out. And certainly God is the only one that can see the sincerity of your heart, but a sincerely changed, born-again believers' actions will reflect that decision and that faith. And I think that, that 
we would be we would be a lot more obedient to the word if we understood how good God was. And I think that we would look a lot more intently to the cross when we understand the magnitude of our sin. So Romans chapter 3. Let's look at this. I think that maybe... Uh, this might be one of the most powerful texts in all the scripture, perhaps. Oddly enough, that question of how can a, a loving God send people to hell, it's not new. <laughs> In chapter 3, verse 5, Paul said this, But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say then? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? And then he has to put this in parentheses. I speak as a man. <laughs> it's almost like, here's this, here's this cultural question. Here's the way that your flesh thinks. Here's the question that you ask yourself in the flesh. Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? If you think that he is, then you don't know him. Because here's the truth. And thank the Lord for the cross. I think this may be why. Uh, one of the reasons that I think this is, is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture is because it is the entirety of the gospel all wrapped up in one place. Truth about who we are in light of who he is and the plan and the purpose of redeeming garbage, ash, and turning it into beauty. It says in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, <laughs> being witnessed by the law and the prophets. His plan of righteousness apart from the law. They, they had done a lot to try to produce righteousness within the context of the law, only to realize that they've transgressed the law in one spot. They've missed the whole law, right? So he says God had a plan. His plan for righteousness apart from the law was revealed in the prophets, witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through this, through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. And here's where the text really starts. And this is where, don't just, this is where my mind camped this week. Don't just read these next few scriptures. Don't just read over them, but look at what they say. For all have sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you understand? This is exciting, interesting food for thought from last week. What the new heaven and the new earth will look like. What our jobs will be. The perfection. The, the glory of God that will rest in that place. We'll, we'll, we'll finally, finally 
be able to see the fullness of his glory unmarred by sin. The same glory that was in the earth previous to a poor decision in a garden. We can't wrap our minds around it. We see his glory manifested in creation. We see his glory manifested in, in birth. We see his glory manifested in, in redemption at an altar. We see his glory manifested in a healing. We see his glory manifested in a revelation that transforms our entire lives. But the fullness of his glory revealed on that day will be more than we could ever fathom. And it says here that all of us, every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of that glory. He had a very specific and, and, and beautiful glory to pour out on creation, marred by sin, restored by redemption. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And this is where you see the cross and you go, thank God for the cross. Because hopefully I've broke. This is where I was. That was there was a moment yesterday where I was just weeping before the Lord. Because you have to come to a place in your pursuit of the truth of his justice and the proof of his the truth of his wrath and and the reality of your sinfulness and all of those things have to come to a head at the cross. That's the gospel. No hope. No hope of escape from the wrath of God without the cross. No escape from your sinful nature. You can do and do and you can try and you can give every effort and you can, and you can pray fervently that, oh God. <laughs> but he didn't even redeem us. He, he, didn't, he didn't spill his blood and call us justified for the fact that we would never sin again. But you settle this truth in your heart that it is no longer about. That's the difference in our religion. There's only two religions in all of the world, ours and every other one. The one that says we, we can't do anything to save ourselves and then all the rest of them that say you have to do this to save yourself. We can't be set free from that sinful nature without the cross of Calvary. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. What a, what a perfect plan. What a beautiful plan. What a painful obedience that redeemed us. To think that God... Stepped down from glory, clothed himself in flesh, lived sinless, died a sinner's death, resurrected. And all we have to do is profess faith and walk in obedience to receive justice. Listen. Verse 24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. 
Listen, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that what? What? (laughs) That he might be just and the justifier. Not only is he just, but he's the justifier. And here's the good thing about the cross. You read over this and you're like, oh, thank you, Lord, for the cross. But why? Why the cross? Why couldn't have God just said, I'm forgive you. I'm forgive you. There was a requirement. If you look, if you look in Hebrews, we won't turn over there. But in Hebrews chapter 10, they're talking about right here in Hebrews chapter 10, 26 to 27. It says, um, uh, if we deliberately keep on sinning, it says that there's no longer a sacrifice for sins. There's a connection to the Old Testament. He's talking to people here who even in this day when they sinned, they were like, oh, <laughs> come on, goat. Come on. That goat's like, no way, dude. No way. I seen what you did. You took turtle doves last week because you said a cuss word, and I know what's about to happen to me. You're lustful, and you're going to take me to an altar, and, and, and that's the truth, right? That's what they were doing. He says, listen, listen, there is no more forgiveness for sin. There is no more sacrifice for sin. You can kill a, a million goats, and there is no forgiveness in that sacrifice, There is no atonement in that sacrifice. There is only one, one, one sacrifice given once for all men, the blood of Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus. And because of that, because God's wrath, because of sin, had to be poured out and it had to be a perfect sacrifice. And he looked and there's no one that can fulfill the requirements. He said, oh, okay. It's been the plan since the very beginning. Go go be the spotless lamb. Remember, I... Isaac, remember the prophetical word that Abraham spoke to his son when he said that God will provide for himself. God will provide for himself. You can't provide it. Abraham said to I, I can't provide it. God will provide for himself a sacrifice that is the person of Christ Jesus. Your sin was evil enough and heinous enough and and. And it separated you from the glory of God. And the only way for him to redeem that is through the blood of Jesus. God is just. We are sinners. But there is a perfect plan of redemption. It's found in the person of Christ Jesus. And that is the gospel. And, and, and Paul said this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. But the truth of the matter is, is we have to have a firm grasp even on the ugly parts of the gospel. Because the truth of the matter is, is they lead to a beautiful story and a redemptive story that loses its weightiness and loses its glory if it's manipulated or if it's shortchanged in any way. Don't lose the beauty of the gospel in the ugly stuff. It's okay. It's okay to understand that the things that happen on this earth, 
I understand that God can fix everything right now if he wanted to because he is sovereign and he is all-powerful, and I believe that he's that God. But at the same time, you have to see at least a measure of his mercy today. But the fullness of his wrath will be poured out someday. And as heavy of a statement as that is, it's a statement that the lost need to hear. Because if they don't understand who they are and they don't understand who he is, they'll never understand that. They'll never understand the value of the blood. They'll never understand the person of Jesus. You don't understand the person of Jesus. There's no, and, and, and the power of his salvation and the fact that he intercedes for us and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, right? You don't understand that, that him giving us the Holy Spirit for the purpose of ministry in the world today. You don't understand those things. How can you believe that coming in here on Sunday nights for the intention of prayer and seeing the supernatural happen? It won't. You don't understand the gospel. You don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't understand the plan of redemption. This, this, is, this is all one big, beautiful story that, that cannot be lost or it cannot be misinterpreted in any place. And that's the reason that we've come in here and we've preached and taught through the purple book is to give you a foundation. And this is a really small book in comparison to all of the promises and the truths that are in this one. But hopefully something in this will awaken a hunger and a desire and a thirst for knowledge and revelation that is in this. We desperately need a move of God in this culture. And I can promise you this. Cultural relevance. God, the Father, God, the Son, the Holy Spirit has no problem working anywhere within this culture. Some of the most zealous people in the world, drug addicts, murderers, redeemed. You know why? Because they've seen a measure of who they really, really are. <laughs> Sometimes if we would stop being quite so sanctified, self-sanctified, and realize, revisit, how about that, how about that, revisit the glory of God, the justice of God, the wrath of God, the sinfulness of man, revisit the cross, it can awaken something in us, there's the people that desperately need to hear the message of Christ, and we're the light, we're their hope, right, Father, we love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your gift. Thank you, Jesus, for your obedience to a perfect plan. Thank you for a blood spilled for us on our behalf. And thank you today that there is a righteousness that is imputed to us. It's infused in us. It's nothing that we bought. It's nothing that we worked to achieve. We were saved by grace through faith. We can't, we can't even boast. God, our souls boast only in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're constantly, Father, revealing yourself to us through your Spirit. You're empowering us, Holy Spirit. 
Thank you for your word. Father, even the weighty parts of the word, thank you for them. God, you're so merciful. You're so kind. And you are just, and you are the justifier. Thank you today, God, that we can come into your presence just as if we have never sinned by the blood of Jesus. And God, that truth and that revelation, Father, would embolden us as we meet again, Father, to walk into this place, not with our head down, but with our shoulders square and our head up. Father, with this confidence that you have redeemed us for your glory. You've redeemed us for your glory. And Father, because of that truth and because of that fact, Father, the way that we live, the way that we speak, the way that we act, the way that we walk, Father, the way that we handle ourselves, carry ourselves every day of our lives, Father, we're transformed because of this revelation and because of this knowledge. God, you redeemed us for your glory. Help us to walk in a way, Father, that's pleasing to you. Father, your word says that if we have Christ, if we say that we believe in you, then we ought to also walk as you walk. Thank you, Jesus, for the example. Give us strength. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Pastor, you need to say anything, you're good. All right, next week, Pastor, going to wrap it up. Judgment of sinners, praise the Lord. <laughs> and the judgment of saints, so yeah, excited. Everybody getting judged next week, okay? Good times, good times. <laughs>